You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world on the latest and most interesting trends and information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Christina Jäger, and we are broadcasting from the Ralf Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, we are speaking to the director of the Ralf Wallenberg Institute, Morten Kjerum, and we will talk about human rights cities. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome, Morten. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So today we are going to talk about human rights cities, which is an interesting concept. Morten, would you like to tell me what the, it is about? In, in short, human rights cities is about a city approaching their different tasks and roles from a human rights perspective. So basically a human rights based approach to governing governance in a city. And when that is said, when we look across all the different continents, there are very many different ways that cities bring on board human rights, and, and that is perfectly fine. But how come this concept appeared, and, and why, would you say? I think when we look across, again, the different continents, there are different reasons why cities embark upon uh, the human rights agenda. The first human rights city came in uh, Argentina in 1998, Rosario, and then it has sort of from there. It came actually out of a, I think, a, a movement of the French, a French sociologist from the 1960s that worked on the right to the city, which is sort of a parallel uh, concept. But the human rights city movement sort of started in 1998. The reason why cities take on board the human rights agenda is first and foremost to uh, do good. They sort of they can, they realize they can do better they can be their work can get closer to the citizens they get a citizen perspective then we have seen uh, cities uh, going up against the national more authoritarian or populistic trends where they are very close to the citizens so for example a, a racist xenophobic agenda has uh, from the national level from the governing parties or president or what we may have the impact of that can be immense for the city it sort of divides a city in different groups where maybe the governing uh, governing structures of the city would like to have an inclusive city want for they be a nice place to live for everybody so therefore as a reaction to the to the populist to the authoritarian trends we also see more and more cities embarking upon the human rights agenda finally we also see cities engaging with the human rights as a, sort of to counterweight new public management so it's not only the economy that should uh, be the guiding star for decisions made in the city but uh, what are sort of the values that should drive us forward as a community of people that uh, are living together here. So uh, basically saying that, uh, yes, there may be uh, economic uh, considerations when we do this, but if we do this, we may also uh, realize better an inclusive city or uh, address the uh, school children uh, right to education in a more focused manner or the right to health for everybody and not only for those who can access uh, health services. So I would say these are sort of the three main reasons that we detect and then of course maybe many others. So cities actually do decide themselves that they want to become a human rights city. 
And there may be several reasons for that, as you say, for example, fighting populism or uh, wanting to become a more human oriented city to become more competitive towards other cities in the country. So if I understand you right, it's that they decide to govern their city according to human rights international standards and the framework. So how is it that you become a human rights city? Where does the initiative usually come? Is it from the city themselves, usually? It's, uh, it's again interesting to, uh, to see, because in, in some cities it's uh, people in civil society pushing uh, the agenda and then pushing the politicians and the officials in the city. In other times it comes from the political level and thirdly, sometimes it's uh, people in the administration that, that drives the agenda. So it's a little bit, it, it differs from, from place to place. If it should really be anchored, I believe that it's very important that there is a political anchoring of it, so at the highest level, political level in the uh, city, and there's a broad consensus. Maybe not getting all uh, parties on board, it may be difficult to get some of the extreme uh, parties uh, to buy into it, but basically having, let's say, a broad political consensus. So it's not after the next election thrown out and basically say, okay, uh, now we don't think human rights is uh, of any use any longer. I mean, that would be, be very unfortunate. So, so a broad political consensus uh, is important. So wherever it starts, it's, it's sort of a, it can be a little bit random uh, whether it starts in one or the other place, but anchoring it politically eventually is important. But what does it mean in practice? How can you, as a citizen, notice that your city is actually a human rights city? I mean, it, it, there are many different ways of uh, approaching it in uh, in cities uh, today. There are some cities that start with particular topics. Uh, could be uh, child-friendly cities. It can be on uh, focusing on uh, migrants, refugees, uh, homeless people. It can be uh, focusing in particular on uh, LGBT issues. I would say if you if you only address one of these issues, I would hardly uh, say that this is a human rights city. It may then be under the banner of an LGBT city or anti-racism city or child-friendly city. But if you sort of start combining, say, okay, we work with two or three, four of these groups, then you have, you could almost say a critical mass of human rights concerns. And you can have an, uh, you can embrace it and you can uh, address the issue. And they choose to say, okay, we work uh, as a human rights city. Then you have another possibility is that, uh, that we see is that you start at the political level, say, okay, the human rights approach should go through all, all the different dimensions of our work. And the classical four dimension is, of course, the city as an employer. So the staff should uh, be treated according to human rights standards and, of course, labor laws in the country. They are service provider. And so, so when they are reaching out to citizens, again, having that citizen focus in that work, they are in charge of the uh, public space. So again, the inclusive city, uh, and then they, of course, democracy provider. How do we engage further the individual uh, citizens in decisions about themselves as well as about the local community where they live? So I would say these four dimensions, if you sort of from the, in your uh, uh, political, your policies and strategies have a human rights approach to these uh, four areas and then make it run through all the different dimensions of your uh, your city council and, and the different functions of the city. I think then then that's another approach to being a human rights city. So I think these are probably the, 
two of the uh, the ways of uh, approaching being a human rights agent. Then you asked if uh, if there's a certain label or accreditation that does not exist at the moment. It's something that we discuss at the international level, and it may appear in uh, some years from now. The UN is involved in the discussion uh, as well. So so let's see where that lands. And uh, I think it's fine that it will take a little bit of time. We we have to uh, cities need the time to experiment what works what does not work how do, how is this being perceived by the citizens and how does that impact the life of citizens talking about the international level the world human rights city forum just took place online this year usually it takes place in guangzhou and uh, this year rwi were, were co-organizing this together with guangzhou international center and uclg committee on human rights so, and you participated, of course. What was uh, your main impression for this meeting? From this meeting, would you uh, like to share a couple of highlights from the forum? Yeah, this was the tenth uh, time that we uh, met in the uh, human, World Human Rights City uh, Forum in South Korea, as you said, in Guangzhou. And um, and I must say, it was sort of a. I think that meeting becomes a, a milestone. We were have been very engaged in the preparation of it, uh, as we have been in some previous years as well. But we were, of course, very not too optimistic that this would uh, render very big results uh, because of the uh, Zoom limitations uh, that we, I mean, the fact that we couldn't meet uh, in person. But I must say, uh, it, I think it will stand out as a, as a milestone where the, the collaboration between cities uh, in this area really got a push forward. Some of the uh, key elements, and of course, which gave a good outset for the discussions uh, in the Jew uh, Forum was that the UN Human Rights Council, a few days before the, the forum started, adopted a, a resolution on human rights cities and sort of gave, a, I would almost say, a, a two-year roadmap with, among other things, focus, try to focus a bit in on giving some guidance, which eventually could guidance to what it means to be a human rights city. So an approach that eventually, a work that eventually could lead to some sort of uh, accreditation further down the line. We also saw the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, as well as the Deputy High Commissioner, both being very actively involved in the process. So that means that the whole human rights city idea is, uh, is increasingly anchored uh, uh, in the uh, UN. And we see that the different UN bodies are increasingly looking not only to states and civil society for inspiration, but also to the cities. So that was let's say, one very uh, encouraging element. Then a lot of the discussions uh, were, in my view, deeper than they've been before. We started out in a panel that uh, the Rolvanenberg Institute co-organized with the UN, with the Office of the High Commissioner, on the role of cities in times of social unrest. Uh, we already saw the social unrest prior to the COVID crisis, but that has accelerated uh, in many places around the world. And we heard uh, presentations from the mayor of uh, Bogota and uh, a number of in, in Colombia and other cities telling about sort of how they have gone about addressing the social inequality and some of the other elements leading to the social unrest. Then we moved on to another uh, panel that, uh, again, we did together with the, that the Holvanenberg Institute did together with the uh, Swedish embassy in Seoul on uh, corruption and human rights. And that is for sure intimately linked to, again, the social unrest and, uh, and the economic inequality. And where cities and, and uh, mayors came in with 
I would say, very powerful statements uh, on how they address it. And, and sort of the approaches that I would say just a few years ago would have been unheard of, just having the, the, the language out there in very explicit uh, terms is, is novel uh, and that we're happy to be, uh, contribute to, to pushing that. Certainly, I would say a, a number of the uh, discussions, but also the uh, panel two of the uh, conference was about the COVID and uh, human rights and how that could, uh, and the cities, and what the cities, the challenges, profound challenges that the many cities have been confronted with during the COVID crisis. So really in-depth discussions on key concerns for, I would say, everybody and where the cities and, and, their, and the governance structures have immense challenges uh, in uh, addressing it. And in some countries, as we know, they do not get much support from the, the national level. So they, are, so they like to team up and, and listen to experience from, uh, from uh, colleagues in, in, in other countries. So, uh, so that is uh, uh, where we were. And then we uh, had a good sort of a bit of a separate discussion with a number of uh, uh, mayors uh, to see how do we move forward in terms of getting the, uh, the the guidelines in place that the the office of the high commissioner and the human rights council uh, are also working on and getting the mayors engaged uh, further uh, in that uh, and again out of that discussion there was sort of a, a nice or let's say the embryos or the beginning of a, a roadmap that came up i have to mention here that uh, i mentioned the office of the high commissioner as, as a key actor and of course our friends in in south korea as very strong partners but i would also mention the uclg which is the biggest uh, network of cities uh, that exist today and they're based, uh, based in Barcelona. This is all very promising and very interesting. I know we have to conclude very soon because you are soon uh, to be in another meeting. Just a quick question, or maybe not so quick, we will get back to that later on in other podcasts and news. However, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals and Human Rights, those are of course interrelated in many ways and talking about cities, it's goal number 11, make cities and human settlements inclusive, etc. About cities trying to uh, achieve all of these goals, how can, um, how should they navigate now that we are actually proposing that they work towards the human rights uh, instead of the or together with the SDGs? But what is the relationship between the SDGs and the human rights framework when it comes to CT? It's a very, it's a very good question. And um, just a few years ago, we saw that there was almost an, an ideological fight in, in certain cities, whether they should be SDG cities or human rights cities. And, and some of us uh, sort of uh, tried to or almost uh, mediate in the sense of saying, well, this is uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, the SDGs and human rights are inter intimately related and interconnected. Uh, if we, you read the uh, SDGs, you sort of see human rights across all uh, the different dimensions uh, of the uh, SDG, from poverty alleviation to gender equality to education to uh, the inclusive city. I mean, you, you name one of the SDGs and there will be, let's say, a, a, a good group of human rights attached uh, to almost uh, all of them. Uh, and that is sort of the agenda that, uh, that cities are now increasingly buying into. I mean, they, to both also to, let's say, have the development agenda that they should have addressing poverty and, and the other issues, and then getting on board the human rights-based approach that the human rights actually may be a, a stronger tool in the toolbox or add a tool in the toolbox uh, to drive 
the change, for example, in relation to addressing poverty. Uh, addressing poverty, you could say almost the traditional way of just looking at, at income levels uh, have brought us somewhere and, and a bit forward, but definitely there are big pockets of poverty where you can uh, push it uh, much further by adding the human rights dimension or the human rights tool to uh, to your effort. And that is that realization that uh, more and more cities are. So as we saw some contradictions and uh, struggles just uh, a few years ago, I think the, there is today a much wider recognition uh, that the SDGs and human rights are intimate, intimately uh, interrelated. And I must say it has also helped that uh, we initially saw a bit of a struggle between in the inside the UN on, on this, where in New York headquarters in New York, it was uh, seen as SDG, SDGs were seen as something separate from human rights, whereas in the human rights machinery in Geneva, they of course saw it in very interrelated. And today, I think, I think what it is, we see the Secretary General being in New York, embracing very much the wider agenda of SDGs and human rights. Yes, so thank you very much, Morten, for contributing and to discussing uh, human rights cities today on human rights in our podcast. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. That was Morten Kjerum, director of the Raoul Wallenberg Institute on Human Rights Cities. And this has been on Human Rights, our podcast. For more information and the latest updates on Raoul Wallenberg's Institute's work, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for listening.